Hey, Steve, start the car. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay, hi. Uh, this is now Jason Jr. Oh, what? Oh, 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 oh my god. Oh my, oh my god, I love him so much. Yeah, well, don't get used to him. We're going to sell him on the black market. We're going to what? We're going to sell him on the black market. How much can we get for him? I don't know, but I don't want him. You know what? Yeah. I don't want him either. Just because he has a dirty diaper. Yeah. Did you, did he really? have, wait, be honest now. Be honest. Did what? he have that dirty diaper when you grabbed, when you grabbed him up there? Just a second, let me check. You know what? That's not his diaper, it's mine. I've been taking these huggies and, uh, whatever cash you got. Hello everybody and welcome to Lead Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. Now on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is good, right, Steve? I believe it is, yes. I think it has a good I reputation. I think it is. You don't yeah. believe you know it's good. Well, I was just trying to be folksy. <laughs> How folksy you want to get on this? Not that folksy. However, however folksy you're fixing Do you want to get. get as folksy as the guys in the movie? Oh my god. <laughs> That's right. What movie are we doing, Steve? Racing Arizona, right? Ah, boy, that classic 1987. I had to say the name, or he was just gonna look around for the entire time and not say it. <laughs> what? 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 The what? <laughs> Where am I? See, if he catches his reflection in that YouTube award on the wall next yeah. to him, well, it'll never stop. No. <laughs> Who is that handsome devil? I picture it. You know, I think it's funny that. The award is actually literally a mirror that reflects your face in it. Yeah. But I look at it as like, look at me imprisoned in YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I want this? <laughs> Why would I want to see my face trapped in this forever? It's like the uh, Phantom Zone. Let me out. Anyway, Raising Arizona. Raising is a great movie, Arizona. Yes, indeed. Yes. Steve? Yes. Did you do your job this week? I looked up some trivia, if that's what you're referring to. Yay! I love Steve's trivia. Yeah? Because I uh -huh. read it to you. I know you do, and I don't have to do anything. This no. one tiny thing, this minute little break yep. in manufacturing this content. Yep. And you take over just a few little things, and you yep. usually steals from me. Yep. Just, just do it. Okay. <laughs> so, um, leading man Nicolas Cage had his mm -hmm. own ideas about this movie and his character and where they did. should go. Of course he did. Um, he is an actor, after all. Yes, with capital A. And he, he had a, a, a penchant for improvising during takes, and some of his improvisations did not really fit in with what the Coen brothers were trying to do with the movie, and so they didn't use them in the film. Mm -hmm. and, this right. and this created a certain amount of tension. Between because Nicolas Cage, he's one of those actors. He's one. Of, yeah, I was giving you good stuff. Why didn't you use it? Um, but uh, also, yeah, but they remained on good terms. Like they didn't fall out or anything. It was just there was a little no. bit. Of, there was a little bit of tension on the set because you know he kept going off in his own direction, and they had to kind of haul him back onto the where they wanted him mm. to go. But one of the things that may have um, aggravated that tension is that this movie was shot on a very tight budget. And with yes. a very tight shooting schedule, the, the, That's right. the, the, the shooting schedule and the budget were so tight, in fact, that when they started principal photography, 
the Coens had the entire thing storyboarded, like from start to finish. Uh-huh. And so their plan was to shoot the movie that they had already worked out in their head. Because you and, save money that way. And on the storyboard. Right, exactly. You, you know, And Nicolas Cage was like, well, I have some ideas. And they were like, well, we only have so many takes, so maybe you can just not do that thing where you act like we have all day and you just want to try some shit. <laughs> Tell you what, Nick. Um, we'll let you fuck around and improvise on uh, on film, but you have to pay for the film. How about that? Exactly. We'll take the film out of your out of your salary. How about that? Mm-hmm. Nick. Exactly. I don't like that. <laughs> well, then shut up and do the lines we wrote. That's Did not what I signed up for, Cohen. <laughs> Fine, we'll just go get Kevin Costner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, now that's going to be one of yours, I bet. Yeah, uh, but I'm eating into my own. I'm not stealing yeah. from you. Oh, well, pardon me. So, yeah, so that that's one. Also... Um, eagle-eyed Cohen Brothers fans, you you Cohen heads out there. We're sorry that a mad doctor replaced your eyes with eagle eyes. Yes, yep. I mean, apparently they don't work as well in humans as they do in eagles. No, they just kind of roll around inside of your gigantic sockets. <laughs> it was a bold experiment. <laughs> bold as in crazy. You need to get the spacers. You need to you don't just get the eyeballs right into the socket. You need to get the spacers to fill out. Who the was making the spacers for the eagle eyes? There's probably a company. <laughs> Wait. So a mad scientist starts replacing people with eagle eyes, and a company immediately goes, yeah. you know what they need? Spacers. It's a niche. You find a niche, and you fill it. I mean, that's how Isn't you make it money. niche? Niche, I say niche. niche. Well, but, you, you know, niche? I'm I'm from rural western Maryland, so I say niche. Okay. Found my niche. Was, Tell you what. That was niche. Well, right, we don't whatever. pronounce it that way around here. <laughs> now die. Nah. <laughs> You said a word wrong. Niche, whatever, Frenchie, get out of here. Bury him out at the at the <laughs> Civil War Cemetery. They don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just stack him on top of somebody. Ain't nobody gonna know the difference. Dress him up in a Union uniform, and the <laughs> the the tourists will take pictures with him. Yeah. That'll be good. If he's gonna be Union, make sure you bury him face down. But keep those eagle eyes for me. Yeah, give me them eagle eyes. Give me the rest of that eagle, goddammit. Oh, shit. It's going to be one of those shows, is it, Steve? <laughs> so anyway, eagle-eyed Coen Brothers fans will notice <laughs> that... Uh, um, when did the eagle get preference? Uh, the, Why can't you say salamander-eyed Do viewers? salamanders have really good vision? I thought the whole thing was the eagles know. have really good vision. <laughs> Okay, fine. How about the one that can see in like 190 million colors? What are they called? The, the it's a kind of shrimp. Oh shit! You you got you got that one on me. I have no idea. I mean, butterflies have better eyesight than eagles do. Why did you say butterfly? Okay, butterfly-eyed Cohen Brothers fans will notice. You're that, specious. <laughs> I mean, I think my I think my reasoning might sometimes be a little faulty, but I wouldn't go so far as to call it specious. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. I accuse you of speciesism. <laughs> Anyway, um, you might notice America. that you might notice that high in the movie oh, high. Steve, <laughs> you might notice that high works for Hudsucker Industries. That's right. And if you are a Coen Brothers fan, you will know that Hudsucker Industries pops up again in another movie that the Coens made seven years after this one, which is of course the Hudsucker Proxy. So That's right. it's the start of the the uh, Coen Brothers cinematic universe. Take that back. The, the the CB 
the CBCU, the Coen Brothers Cinematic Universe. I'm fairly certain that um, Evel, when he's uh, robbing the store of balloons and diapers, that's the same old man from No Country for Old, for old Men. <laughs> it's, uh, it's basically, you know, I, it's, it seems very much like an, an ancestor of that scene. As soon as he got up counting, <laughs> there was, what's his name, Anton Anton Chigurh. Chigurh. If Anton Chigurh had told him to count to 850 in cool. No Country. <laughs> count, to, count to 850. I'll be back to check on you. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I don't see why I have to count to 800. <laughs> and then he just falls back. Just hits him with that bolt stunner in the forehead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Are you done? Uh, one more. Okay. This is a charming anecdote that I'm sure everybody Yay. will love. Fill so, me with charm. So Nicolas Cage, during the production of the movie, was out to eat at a diner near one of their filming locations. Mm-hmm. And he was approached by a fan who recognized him and was really From excited like oh my he was in before right. like oh my god is nicholas cage right yes I, who at that point what star of moonstruck like i don't did know did you what really movie. eat that cockroach in vampire's kiss <laughs> so she she's a big nicholas cage fan she sees him eating dinner at a diner or something she runs up she asks him for an autograph and he obliged and signs a napkin for her and what he writes on the napkin is tomorrow you will die nick cage Nick Cage, everybody. Hell of a guy. We got him through nepotism. He just had, yeah, that's right. He has connections. Yeah, what connections yep. are those, Steve? Uh, the the Francis Ford Coppola connection. Isn't he, he's he Coppola's nephew, right? He changed his name, yeah. He's, he yeah, changed Coppola's his last nephew. name. Because yeah. his real name is Nicholas Coppola. Boy, the Coppola family just keeps giving and giving, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they, mm-hmm. they give and they take away. I mean, it's sort of the way. That's true. <laughs> Can I do my part now? I would love it. Would you really? I would absolutely love it. Okay, good. It's directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Even though it just says Joel Cohen, don't believe that shit. They just put they had to put one name down <laughs> right. because they weren't going to let brothers co direct. Because Hollywood is garbage. Well they have since changed the rule in their more recent films they do both get a director credit, but that's yeah. correct. But you know them. They've directed The Big Lebowski, Barton Fink, No Country for Old Men, The Hudsucker Proxy, Ernest Goes to Camp. Oh, uh, Ernest Goes I to Camp know. is such a great neo is the best comedy. One. I yeah, mean, it's, because yeah. they were firing on all pistons then. Absolutely. <laughs> Produced by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Don't make me say it again. <laughs> Written by... E- I switched it up. Written by Ethan Cohen and Joel Cohen. <sighs> Starring... Nicholas Cage is H.I. McDonough, and as I alluded to before, Kevin Costner really wanted this part. He auditioned three times for it. I am so glad they chose Nick Cage. Yes. Because I just don't think Costner has the energy to be able to play a character like H.I. McDonough. No, I don't think so either. He would have brought all the energy down, everything would have been down, and would have been stupid, I would have demanded my money back at the 18 year old moviegoer although what? can you imagine if costner had gotten this one and so nicholas cage instead had done field of dreams no because they were they came out the same year they maybe were in production around the same time that would have become famous for the movie where james earl jones literally strangled another actor <laughs> on set get out of here i'm not going to show you my gun <laughs> It's not my finger, it's a gun. Holly Hunter as Ed. 
and my first real screen crush. Oh, yeah. Can't blame you there. I fell in love with her in this movie, and that extended way past when she was popular. I mean, she's still working. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, she had a little heyday in the late 80s, early 90s, and then she kind of disappeared for a little while. She got her Academy Award, and she just, you know, fucked off for a little while. (laughs) But, I mean... You know her from Broadcast News and The Piano and uh, The Incredibles and Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Yeah, you know, everybody <laughs> needs to get paid. I guess that's the story I there. I don't like it. It's a Take good her payday. name off. Get it's her out of it. <laughs> Take her can name we, off. Can we get a Snyder cut of that where she's not in it? Is that possible? It's called the Holly Hunter's Dignity Cut. <laughs> Trey Wilson as Nathan Arizona Sr. And you know him from Bull Durham and a whole bunch of other little cameo roles. And he's a great actor and I love him and he is ridiculously funny in this movie. Absolutely. He's so goddamn good. Um, John Goodman as Gale. Nope. I'm not doing it again. You know who John Goodman (laughs) is. I don't have to repeat what he's been in. He's in all the movies we've done lately. (laughs) He has been... William Forsyth as as Evil, and you know him. He was in The Rock. He was in Boardwalk Empire. He's been on tons of TV shows and um, uh, character parts. He's a great character actor. Yeah, he's absolutely. really matured into a great actor. And you know, the first for the first time rewatching this, he's really good in this too. He's so funny. It's it's so hard for him to get any spotlight because John Goodman is there soaking up all everything. Well, and, and the it's, thing about him in this one is if, you, if you're familiar with him for some of his more his later stuff, I mean, uh-huh. he's so different in this than uh-huh. he is in a lot uh-huh. of his other stuff because he's not he's playing like a goofy character. Usually he plays like the heavy, you know. He's like, usually a bad guy yeah, or a heavy. Or, yeah, he's really you good. You know, FBI guy, yeah. stuff like that. Or like a mob guy or something. Or board, Well, in Boardwalk Empire, he's a Jewish mobster. Yeah. And it's like, wow, look at the, the journey you've made from Evil to, I can't remember the name of the character in, in, in Boardwalk Empire. But he's so good. Someone give him an award. I'm going to send him an award. I'm going to give him something <laughs> off of my disc. <laughs> Sam McMurray is Glenn nothing. That's, that's all I got. Frances McDormand is Dot. And you know her, she's in Blood Simple and Fargo, and she's like the greatest actor we have now, apparently. <laughs> she got, she's she's an Oscar collector now. Oh yeah, that's all she does is hoover them up, either it's a nomination or an Oscar. <laughs> like, Thank you very uh, much. Not that, not that I give a shit, but she is actually a great actor. And she's funny in this too. And you know Frances McDormand and Holly Hunter knew each other when they were going to Yale. I did. I think I did know that. I think I might have ran across that when I was doing Joel research. Joel and Ethan Cohen wrote the part of Ed for Holly Hunter because they knew that she would be able to play it. So there, there's more trivia than you provide, Mr. Well, trivia Guy. Shit. <laughs> Randall Tex Cobb as a giant asshole that went amuck on the set. No, as <laughs> as Leonard Smalls, one of my favorite villains ever put to screen. Mm. And uh, he was a boxer. Well, first he was a kickboxer. Then he was a legit boxer. And then he started making movies. And you'll see him in cameos in, like, The Golden Child and a couple other films. And on an episode of MacGyver. There, just yeah. for you, Steve. Oh, that's a, he's, yeah. His, oh, his, his dog gets, gets poisoned by toxic waste. 
Wait, he's not a bad guy in MacGyver? No, he's a good guy in MacGyver. Can you believe that? Oh, wow. Because he's such a great bad guy. Yeah, he is a great bad guy. (laughs) T.J. Kuhn Jr. is Nathan Jr. And after this movie, after seeing all the blow and whores and, you know, just the degradation that Hollywood provides, he said, nope, no more. He was also like one. So, good. I'm glad you And there's only so much blow you can do when you're a baby. I mean. The monster didn't eat you. Congratulations, TJ. Or JT. (laughs) He made it out alive. And now a special cameo from my tap dancing dog who's arrived early for some reason. Probably to just walk in a circle and ruin the entire podcast. Oh boy. What a good dog. It's nowhere near time to feed you. (laughs) Oh god. Alright, everyone's just going to have to contend with it because I don't feel like beating her to to unconsciousness this time around. Not while the camera's on. Shut up. Oh. You be quiet. I'm sorry. Music by Carter Burwell. And you know him from, well, Coen Brothers movies. Yeah, a lot of Coen Brothers movies. Fargo, The Big Lebowski, No Country for Old Men. They've been working together for a long time. Cinematography by Barry Sonnenfeld. And you know him as the director of Men in Black and The Addams mm-hmm. Family. But he worked for a cinematographer for a long time. And he did movies like Big and Misery and a lot of the Coen's films. A lot of Coen's, yeah, yeah. And he also worked very closely with um, Evil Dead Guy, Sam Raimi. Sam Raimi. In fact, there's a scene in this that is an homage to Sam Raimi's film, Evil Dead 2, which is in the dream that High has, where they go over the they go over the yard of Nathan Arizona's home, yeah, I, up the yeah. ladder, and then directly to the screaming mom. That's the same technique that they would use for the demon attacks in Evil Dead. Evil 2. Dead, yeah, and that's definitely a very Raimi esque shot for sure. It's, yeah. but it's actually, it's actually a Barry Sonnenfeld shot. A Sonnenfeld esque shot. Because if you look at his movies, he uses the same techniques well, as well. Yeah, it's, when yeah, they're, they're appropriate. Yeah, yeah. there's when a lot of that in the Adams Family movies. Oh yeah, there a is. Lot but of that. that's yeah. because that's him. He's the cinematographer. I'm, I'm that okay. That okay. Geez, Steve. I like him. I'm not trying to take anything away from him. Well, you just try to attribute it to Sam Raimi. That's a Sam Raimi shot. It's a Barry Sonnenfeld shot. I'm sorry. Whose name is on the movie? Um, Barry Sonnenfeld. Who who, who directed Evil Dead 2? Barry Sonnenfeld. No, Sam Raimi directed it. And who is the cameraman just doing what the fuck he was told? Barry Sonnenfeld. (laughs) Wait a minute. You've taken him from being the cinematographer... The cameraman. ...to cameraman. Because, you know, they don't have any artistic value either, apparently. Right, Steve? Yeah, they're just button pushers. (laughs) Put up the lights and move the camera and keep your mouth shut. Don't get any ideas about being creative. feeling good about those jokes you're making right now? Not really. (laughs) Edited by Michael R. Miller. And that might be a fake name... For Joel and Ethan Cohen, <laughs> they didn't want to. They didn't want to show They edited too much. almost all of their films and used a fake name. Yeah, I think they fell into a typical one, but I can't remember what that fake name was. It was something like Jake Flywell or something. Yeah, like that. okay. <laughs> Production company Circle Films, distributed by 20th Century Fox, release date March 13th, 1987. Running time a blessed 94 minutes. Mm. Budget, $5.5 million, or $13 million adjusted for inflation. Box office, $29.2 million, or $68 million. 
and it was a great big hit, and everyone loved it, right, Steve? Yeah, that's why we got Raising Arizona 2 and Raising Arizona 3. And Raising Arizona 4, Dark Descent, well, that and was, Raising Arizona. Yeah, I mean, that was direct-to-video, but yeah, you know. Raising Arizona 5, Burying Arizona. Burying Arizona. <laughs> Raising Arizona 6, The Return of Leonard Smalls. Oh, that was a good one. He's such a great villain. Yeah. He is such a great villain. He is a great villain. I'll get into more of that later. So, he's so good. So will I. <laughs> he's no, you he's... won't, because it's mine now. I claimed them. Oh, I called firsties. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, you can, you know. I hope you, you and Randall Tex Cobb are very happy together. You can praise Nick Cage. How's okay. that? Yeah, praise me. <laughs> can you just do Nick Cage for yeah. the rest of the movie? The acting Please? school that I subscribe to is called the shamanic technique. <laughs> Allow the character to inhabit my body. Uh, Steve, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's climb into this into this uh, station wagon. Let's adopt <laughs> the most outrageous accents you've ever heard in your entire life. <laughs> let's let's make a movie that upsets the the. <laughs> The governor of Arizona says, we don't like this movie because it paints a very bad picture of Arizona. Yeah. Like, fuck you. Because it seems That's like exactly a, what it's like. Seems like such a nice place to live otherwise. When I visit, I'm going to be disappointed that it's not more like the movie. Yeah, exactly. All I saw was the same white person wandering around Tucson in 107 degree weather with no shirt. <sighs> it was literally the only person on the street that I ever saw. I don't know if it was more than one person. They have like an army of them. But, Is it, yeah. I mean, isn't that what's on the state flag? Just a shirtless white person wandering around? <laughs> wandering down a sidewalk? <laughs> yeah. It could be. It could be. They had a sunburn where they had obviously had one of those uh, wife beaters. Naturally. Is that? Can we still call them that? The state shirt of Arizona. Oh, fuck it. It is that they just take a wife beater and print on That's it the and flag. then raise it up. It's a wife beater okay, tied to a stick. Now we've got to apologize to everyone, all of our listeners in Arizona. We don't mean that. Our The states we live in are shit. You hear us talk about them That's all the time. That's right. That's right. They're garbage. Steve's is more garbage than mine. Although, you know. at least our state flag isn't a goddamn tank top tied to a stick. I'll just no, say that. No, your, your flag looks like a Harlequin got flattened by a goddamn yeah, our, our, steamroller. <laughs> our flag is the greatest flag ever. The Maryland flag is the best flag of all flags. It looks like someone arbitrarily stitched three circuits, four circus stents together. No, that's not how... No, you're wrong. You're, you're, you're being very disrespectful right now. My flag has a bear. <laughs> and it says California on it. Because that's the kind of state I'm from. <laughs> because the guy who was supposed to design the flag forgot about his deadline until that morning and had to scramble. <laughs> they won't know what state this is. Quick, write California on the flag itself, which defeats the purpose of a flag. Hmm, lots of flags have bears. I don't know. <laughs> we need to get more specific about this. Calif, there we go. Whatever you do, don't make a flag that looks like it's made out of couch material like Maryland. <laughs> now, now you're talking shit about my couch. They look like carpeting tiles from a Vegas from a Vegas <laughs> casino. So, dude. so we just... we found a way to reuse the remnants in a creative way instead of just throwing them out. That's right. And you're gonna give a shit for it, you know? People listen to this. They listen to this. 
they listen to us argue about flags for a good 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then they say, I I wonder if there's a Patreon for this podcast. (laughs) Come on, Steve. Let's me and you run yodeling (laughs) into the world (laughs) of raising Arizona. Steve, take it away. Oh, boy. Well, we meet our hero who is named Herbert H.I. McDonough. His friends call Mm -hmm. him High. That's right. Um, And he has a little bit of a criminal record, as we are introduced to. He has a a thing where um, that we we see repeated about three or four times in this opening sort of prologue segment where he robs a convenience store and he gets arrested. And every time he gets arrested, he gets his picture taken by uh, a young police officer named Edwina who super sexy who is who who's people call her ed and yeah so they get like they sort of form this relationship because he keep he he robs the same convenience store and gets arrested a bunch of times so they see each other you know he gets out mm-hmm. he gets out of prison and goes back to his normal life robs and a convenience store again gail and evelyn when he's that's, back in yeah prison. that's right he's in prison his yeah his we meet growly guy mopping growly gail guy and mopping. evelyn <laughs> that's a right guy who a guy who gets menstrual cramps that's right. Uh, and, and then he meets the board. The parole board, yeah. And they always end their session with, okay, then. Yeah. Then he robs a convenience store. Ed's, we've we got to do this fast because there is so much goddamn information packed into this there, 11 it's, minutes. It's very, very be- dense, yeah. Before the credits. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so but, but every every time he, he gets arrested, he, he sees Ed again, and he develops mm-hmm. kind of a crush on her. And one time, he's getting his picture taken after being arrested, and Ed is crying. And he says, what's wrong, Ed? And she says, um, my fiance ran out on me. Mm-hmm. And he's like, finance. Finance. My finance. And, and he's like, her fiance had run out on her. Um, so he gives her kind of a speech where he's like, well, if I were, if I were your fiance, you know, I would, I think he's a fool for running out on you. And, and if, and if he wants to say anything to me about it, here's where he can find me. And he gives her like the name of the prison that he's going to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, when, when he gets out the next time, uh, he walks into the police station without having robbed the convenience store. And he asks Ed to marry him. Mm-hmm. And then him and well, Ed first married. when he's being booked, he puts a ring on her face. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. While they're getting the... And there's always... I love this. There's always someone in the background yelling at Ed. Don't forget to make... Don't get the right side, Ed. Don't forget to fingerprint him, Ed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's feeling a little... Now he's discovered something. He's in love with Ed and he's in prison. And he's dreaming about her. While the guy on the top bunk should not be alive. Because <laughs> he said, when there wasn't chicken, we ate crawdad. And when it was not crawdad, we ate sand. Yeah, yeah, and, and that should have been the end of his them. story. <laughs> you, I'm sorry, what? You ate what? You ate sand? Sand. We ate sand. Well, one day, I decided I was going to make my own crawdad, but without the water. <laughs> and it was just like popping popcorn. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway, he's he's been dreaming about her, dreaming about her. He finally gets out, and then he proposes he walks in i love this scene he walks in and he, he says i want to marry you and then he says hey joe because she's taking a picture of a guy being arrested <laughs> of course he knows the guy being arrested i love it he just casually mm-hmm. says oh hey <laughs> and there's so much you can miss in this opening bit because it's a bunch of quick cuts it's 11 minutes long they go they get married they show the they show the the guests at the wedding one side is all blue 
or black because she's a cop. Right. And the other side, they're all wearing, every single one of them is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. Because in this movie, dressing up means wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, that's, it's Arizona. <laughs> it's Arizona. Then he gets a shitty job where right. M, M. Everett Walsh, <laughs> in yeah. a brief cameo, yes. tells a horrible story over and over again. But they're happy. They've moved to a mobile home. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what he calls the salad days where they sit together and they can watch the sunset. Yeah. But eventually Ed leaves the police department. No, not yet. Oh, not yet. Not yet. She uh, she wants to have a critter. That, that, yes, that comes first. Yeah. But but unfortunately, right. uh, what, what what's his line? Her her Ed's, who, Ed's yeah. womb is a rocky crevice where his seed my, can find no purchase. My seed can find no purchase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can't, and she yeah. is so great. Oh my God! When when the gynecologist, with a smile, is telling them with no sound, and she's crying and crying, and then she stops for a second, and then she starts crying again. Uh, I'm in love with her. She's great. <laughs> she's great. Right, and then they try to adopt. And what's wrong with that, Steve? Uh, well, High uh, has a criminal record. Yeah, a long. Criminal he has record. a long criminal record. Well, he's figuring since Ed is an officer of the law, twice decorated. Yes. That it kind of balances out, but it doesn't. It doesn't. And that's when Ed goes into a deep depression where she no longer wants to do it. No, every the, the, the housework gets neglected. That's when she leaves the police. She quits yeah, her job. When, yeah. And um, they're so depressed that Heist finds himself driving past convenience stores that aren't on the way home. Yeah. Boy, that's when you know you're and in there's, deep. There's a subtle little thing in here um, that I love. And that is when High is having darker thoughts, especially about returning back to his life of crime. When they cut to the convenience store, all you hear is wind whistling. Mm-hmm. Like it's whistling through the through the desert, which is the same sound cue that they use later on for Leonard Smalls. Ooh, I didn't notice that's that. This, yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's great. Um, but while they're eating TV dinners and looking really depressed, <laughs> what do they find out on the news, Steve? Well, they hear the story of the famous Arizona quince, which is a set of oh. quintuplets that were born to a local furniture baron who just so happens mm-hmm. to be named Nathan Arizona mm-hmm. and his wife. He, he owns uh, uh, Ariz- Unpainted Arizona. Unpainted Arizona, which is the number one retailer of unpainted furniture in the state. And uh, so he, so they're rich, and they they were having mm-hmm. they were having trouble having kids as well, and they did some fertility treatments, and now they got five babies, mm-hmm. more than so they can handle. Do, more than they can handle. That's what the that's what the wife says. So what Ohio and Ed decide to do? To take one of them babies. That's right. And eleven minutes into this movie, we finally get the title screen. Yep. And the you know cast you know the cast and all that stuff. And now we cut to the home of Nathan, Arizona. How do we know that? Because there's a little thing down at the bottom. Yeah, <laughs> home of Nathan, Arizona. Yeah. And then he's on the phone just chewing some guy out while they're hearing bumping upstairs that they think is just the kids goofing around or whatever. Right. He tells the person, it is, I love this. What does he say? It's 945. 
It's 9.45. Now he looks at his watch and he says, it's 9.45. And at the bottom of the screen, it says 9.45. It tells you the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But High has gone up into the bedroom to kidnap one of the babies. They go insane and try to kill him while he's trying to kidnap one of them. They're yeah. all over the place. They scatter like ants. There's no <laughs> way that he can do this. He begins to panic. And he leaves without one, the baby at first. One of them has a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and he leaves without the baby because he panics, right? And yeah, and, and and Ed is like, "You go back up there, and don't you come back without a baby." They have a, they have more than they can handle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, "Oh, but honey," <laughs> he goes back up there. The mom has uh, Mrs. Arizona has gone up to comfort one of the babies. He, he's looking out the window, and he can see High, and the High decides that's the one. Yeah, brings it back. She starts crying and starts crying. <laughs> he says, I think we got the best one. Yeah. They bring him home. They put decorations up. Says, welcome home, son. They try to show him around. And um, they don't know what to do from that point. <laughs> they just sit down and stare at well, him. He, yeah, and then uh, a high suggests taking a picture. Oh, yeah, that's right. And they're getting ready to take a picture, and she wants to make sure that he's going to be on the straight and narrow from here on out, right? And oh, yeah. And he says, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Cut to a muddy field outside of a prison. And <laughs> like in Greek scene. legend... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Two beasts from the underworld crawl out of the mud, and that's Gale and Evelyn, right? Yes. They've busted out of prison. Yes. And what's the very first thing they go and do? Uh, they, they go to to a um, a restroom at a gas station and they apply an ungodly amount of brill cream to a their pomade. Hair. Yeah, a, it's, yeah it's pomade. Just... Yeah, an ungodly amount. Mm-hmm. And then steal a car. Yeah, and steal a car. Yeah, yeah. Steal a car and don't pay for the gasoline. Criminals. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, uh, High and Ed are asleep outside of the crib because they've fallen asleep watching the baby and that's when that's when evel and gail show up right they're like beating on the door and they're saying it's the cops open up and of course it's you know he opens the door and and it's his old buddies from prison he's like hey how are you guys doing and and ed ed is not too happy about this uh development what are you talking about she's just a former police officer and these guys openly admit that they just Release themselves on their own yeah. recognizance. For some reason, I just doesn't think it will be good to have them around. No. And she yells at him, and then she leaves, and then um, Gail insinuates that uh, Hyde doesn't wear the pants in the family Yeah, anymore. And he, he goes in, and he talks to Ed, and he says, they'll be gone in the morning. They'll just be gone in the morning, I promise. They're not going to stay. Everything will be fine. And they go to sleep. And we discover that High has the gift of prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because what does he have a dream about? He has a dream about he about what, what turns out to be an actual character, which which is Leonard Smalls, uh, right. who is this uh, unstoppable, Beast seemingly <laughs> supernatural bounty hunter. Yeah, who is uh, who is on his trail? Yeah. Or when he drives by, flowers catch on fire. Yeah, and and he like he blows up rabbits in he the desert. He throws a grenade he, to a rabbit. Yeah, I mean, he's just he's he's a somewhat evil guy. I think it's, uh-huh. it's safe to say, yeah. And then uh, he gets up the next morning 
and uh, I think Gail and are they still there? Yeah, is this is this where they're eating cereal? Yeah, yeah. and they ask why she's not breastfeeding. Yeah, and they're starting to work out that something's up. Yeah, because they're but... trying to cover for like wh- where they got the baby, where the baby came from. Because you know, obviously, mm-hmm. the kidnapping story is all over the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we go to the Nathan Arizona house. Where we get to watch Nathan, Nathan Arizona Sr. have a complete fucking meltdown in front of the FBI. <laughs> I love that. Is that what you do? Look for microbes? <laughs> what are you doing here in the one house in the state where I know my boy is not? <laughs> <sighs> it's a great scene. Yeah. It's a great scene, and it's a tribute to that actor who didn't live much longer past this. He got he made Bull Durham, and then he passed away. Yeah, and, and he's fantastic in this. Mm-hmm. So then we cut to uh, the biker from High's Nightmare. Yeah. And he rolls up on a hole, on hmm. the same hole that High and... Uh, or Gail. Um, Gail and Evel. Gail. Yeah. I'm sorry, Gail and Evel uh, tunneled out of. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh shit! And it's like he can smell where they went because yes. he goes to the gas station. <laughs> but yeah, that's like his very next stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's the breakfast scene with cereal. Now it's the breakfast yeah, scene okay. with cereal. Yeah. We jumped to that a little bit, where they're kind of figuring it out, and they're like, "You guys gotta be, you guys gotta be scarce because we have people from work coming over, right? Yeah. His boss and his wife and, are gonna yeah. come over, and so they're gonna have." A half-ass barbecue thing, and that's when we meet um, what's her face and what's his name. Uh, uh, what are the characters' Glenn, name? It's Glenn and Dot. Glenn, Glenn and Dot. Yeah, yeah. And Dot is super excited oh, about the baby. So excited and full and of just, suggestions. <laughs> oh, about vaccinations and about how if you don't do it, the kids can die. Yeah. Meanwhile, Glenn's talking about. How there's something wrong with the semen. He mentions it like five <laughs> Multiple times. Multiple times, yeah. And about how they wanted... I mean, this is... I This guy, you will recognize him from tons of movies. And, yeah. Ton, tons of TV. Tons of TV tons shows. Of TV, yeah. He's almost always funny. I think in our top... I think at the top I said nothing. I didn't mean that. I meant a lot of things. Yeah, he, but nothing you will major. definitely... You will almost definitely recognize him. I mean, mm-hmm. he's doing so but much But he stuff. is so funny in this. Yeah. Because he's just going, oh, we tried to adopt, and they <laughs> they wanted him to adopt a baby that had its yeah. heart it's on the heart outside. outside its body. Yeah. Well, yeah, because he's this again. It's an example of uh, there's other characters that are they're they're try Ed and and Hi are having to cover for where this baby came from because mm-hmm. they, they're what they were telling people was oh you know he's he's adopted, but then. Uh, Glenn is like, well, we tried to adopt and we couldn't get anywhere. So then High yeah, has to make up anywhere. some shit about, oh, well, Ed knew some. Well, we knew Ed knew somebody. Ed knew right. somebody. It's all about who you know. So. But High is stressed out. Yeah. Okay. Because of of Gail and Evel and about having literally just kidnapped the baby yesterday <laughs> or last night. Yeah, it's a lot of stress. Uh huh. Uh huh. And and Ed's not helping because she's like, we got to get the baby tested for diptera. We don't want the baby to die, do we? Hi, and he's just overwhelmed. So he gets up, and um, his boss follows him out there. And the boss has a suggestion, mm, right? Yeah. What's this? What's the suggestion? Steve? Well, it turns out 
that uh, Glenn and Dot are swingers. Mm-hmm. So Glenn suggests to High that they have themselves a good old-fashioned wife swap. Right. And High punches him in the face. And says, keep your hands off my wife. Keep your damn hands off my wife. And so later that evening, they're driving to go get diapers, I think. Mm. And she's like, you punched him. He's your boss. You're going to get fired. And he's like, yeah, I know. (laughs) And then he turns into a convenience store. Yes, he does. And Ed's outside singing to the baby. And she looks inside and she sees that high... Is robbing the convenience store. Yes, he has a he has a pair of pantyhose over his head, and mm-hmm. he is uh, he's he's robbing it for the diapers and for whatever money is in the register. I'll take these huggies and whatever money you have in the <laughs> register. She gets out of the car and screams at him, "You son of a bitch!" <laughs> and drives away. And drives away, and now high now the cops are coming because that's what she notices. The cops are coming. The, yeah. And guys, don't ever rob anything in Arizona. Because the cops just start shooting at you. Yeah, they don't even know what's going on, and they show up guns a-blazing. They shoot the Huggies out of his arm. Yep. And so continue he runs... to shoot at him when he is running away. <laughs> That's he, right. He hasn't, even, he hasn't shot at anybody. He is running away. They continue to shoot at him. Mm-hmm. He hops a fence, and there's a mean dog there. And he hops over the other fence because it's on a chain, but the dog breaks the chain and then starts chasing after him. And that single dog turns into several dogs. Right, because other dogs, you see the other dog, they, they uh, yeah, they like join the, the mm-hmm. chase and High yep. flags down a car and jumps oh, in God, somebody this else's is my car. my favorite fucking scene. He flags down a truck. Uh, yeah, a truck, yeah. And he and he and the, the man says, boy, you got a panty on your head. Yeah. And he points the gun at the guy and and tells him to drive fast. The guy screams, takes off almost without High, and as they're <laughs> driving, he starts screaming again because the clerk at the convenience store now has a gun and is shooting and at blows them. the windshield yeah. out of the truck. Yeah. But he gets attacked by the dogs. Right? Yeah. That's what is what happened. Yeah, he gets attacked he, by the dogs. Yeah. Then the truck driver screams again because the cop car is there. And uh he turned he what did he say? Can I stop now? Is there there's a line from yeah. the truck driver. Um, but then he veers off to not be not hit the cop. He gets ejected out of uh, high. Gets ejected out of the wi- uh, windshield because there's no glass in it. Lands on someone's front yard. Runs into the house through the house, yeah. being chased by a cop. And the cop is being chased by the dog. Yes. Um, Meanwhile, Ed has changed her mind and doubled yeah. back, and she's trying to find high. And then he runs into a grocery store. Yes. Grabs another bag of Huggies. Grabs another bag of Huggies. The cop is there and is just arbitrarily shooting down the aisles of the grocery store at him. He starts making to the front of the store, and then it turns out that the manager of the store has a shotgun. (laughs) The dogs are there chasing one woman around who's just screaming, who then hits the cop that's chasing him, and then he runs out the back door. And somehow, Ed is there, and she picks him up. Yeah. And then he has to listen to her tell him, you can't be doing this. Yeah. (laughs) Things have changed. And uh, they grab the Huggies that are laying on the road, and they go home. 
and we see Evelyn and Gale really interested in what appears to be opera on the television. Yes. She storms in the house, accuses them of being a bad influence. They apologize. She says, you're going to be gone by the morning. Or I'm going to... I think she says she's going to go to the cops or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. And Gail says, I bet you have money problems. Well, we're going to knock over this bank that apparently is in another is in another decade. Yes. <laughs> I know, it's like a tell. bank from the Old West. Yeah. And he doesn't know if he wants to do it. He's like hem and hawing back and forth. Then he agrees to do it, and he writes a, a, a you know, a, a heartfelt a note, letter. Yeah, to to Ed. Yeah. That I'm leaving you because I'm no good for you, and it's better that I send you money, and that you hate me from afar. A bye. And then he signs it Herbert. Right. And he falls asleep. And we cut to a bunch of scenes of Nathan Arizona asleep on his lazy boy watching TV and I think he falls asleep on no we cut to Leonard Smalls riding his motorcycle at night and then we see Leonard after he's done writing the letter we see Leonard Smalls pull up on the hillside next to their mobile home yeah and then he uh, makes a fire and falls asleep on his motorcycle (laughs) (laughs) and then he decides to pay Nathan Arizona a visit right Yes, he does, and uh, he makes Nathan he makes Nathan quite the interesting offer. Well, what's great about it is he's so soft spoken. Oh yeah, right. Oh, you yeah. expected him to be like this crude, you know, like biker dude kind of thing, but no, he's very measured and patient. Very and calm. Yeah, he alludes to awful things that are going to happen. Like I'm going to get the kid either way. Now you can either pay me fifty thousand dollars. Or I'll give $50,000 for him on the black market. And Nathan's like, I think you stole him. And I think this is a shakedown. And I'm going to turn my back on you for a second so you can disappear like a puff of smoke, like some sort of biker wizard. Yes, and that's just what happens. But that happens after he snatches a fly out of the air. Yes, with his two fingers, with and it's like fingers. an inch from it's an inch from Nathan's face, mm-hmm. and he like I love that because he leans forward and just does that motion, and you have no idea what the hell he's doing, and then they cut to the close up of his fingers, mm-hmm. and he's got a fly by the leg, and you're like, oh, okay, and he did it from a seated position where his legs were up on a desk. Yeah, he's good. Oh yeah, he's good. He's good. Next morning, Gail and so, what is it? Gail and uh, Evel are, they have shotguns, they're getting ready to go rob the place, and they want Hein to go with them. But someone shows up outside. Yeah, uh, Glenn, right? Glenn shows up. Glenn shows up, yeah. He's got a busted nose, and he's wearing a neck brace. He's terrified of High. Anytime High even very calmly approaches him, he says, stay away from me! <laughs> but Glenn has is, Glenn is figured out that the baby that they have is Nathan Arizona Jr., Right. And they were going to turn him in for the reward money, but what they've decided is they want the... Dot wants the baby. She wants something to cuddle. So right. we're coming back later, and we're going to get that baby. Yeah. Right? And and I don't know if we mentioned it or not, but uh, Glenn and Dot already have like five oh, or six... Oh, they have five of, or of six worst, nightmare of children. the worst kids you could... Yeah, what, what, so. what Steve thinks of when yeah. he thinks about children. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Typical children is what I thought when I no. watched the movie. Like, okay. oh, like, oh, typical it's children. Not. 
They wrote fart on the wall. They did a, they did a ton yes. of stuff. My favorite part is you hear glass breaking and a kid giggling. And he's... <laughs> Glenn's like, don't cut yourself on that glass now. Yeah. Uh, that'll be fine. But who overhears the whole accusation that it's Nathan Jr.? Well, it's uh, Gail and Evel. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. And when he comes in, one of them's got one of them's got the kid. And they're like, "We're taking the we're taking the kid." And then a great big fight happens. Where they play up the fact that there's really no room to have a typical fight in 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 the mobile in home. a trailer. Yeah. But eventually they tie him up. They take the kid. They take the the Dr. Spock baby book. Yes, the manual. Mhm. <laughs> And High start, High starts crying, and uh, then we see Ed, who's driving back to the mobile home, and they she sees a Gail and Evel leaving, and she's like, "Good riddance" or whatever, because she don't right. know. And High's like talking a mile a minute about how he's gonna get the kids back, and he's loaded up three guns, and he's like, "Let's go yeah. get our baby." And uh, Ed's in shock, as near as I can tell. Yeah, she's just kind of sitting there. Cut to Ed and uh, Ed. Talk to cut to Gail and Evel, and they start bonding a little bit. Well, Evel starts bonding with the baby real quick, right? Yeah, yeah. And the baby shits its pants, and so they have to get diapers. And then they rob this poor old man. (laughs) (laughs) They take all the money and they take the diapers, and he's grabbing. He's grabbing balloons and stuff for the kid. I love that, that the line. Do these Do blow they, up into funny shapes? Yeah. Not unless <laughs> unless round is funny. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they get all the stuff. They get back in their car. They're talking about how, uh, what is it? They're talking about something as after they leave. He tells the guy at the station, I want you to count to 850, and then I want you to count down from 850. I'm going to be back right. in five minutes to check and make sure. They get in the car, and they're like, woo But what did they forget, Steve? Well, what they realize in time is that they forgot the baby. They left the baby they, on the hood of the car. They left the baby on the hood of the car, so apparently what has happened was the baby flew off the hood of the car <laughs> when they took off and is now just sitting in its car In the seat, middle of the road. In the middle of the road. He's fine. He's, he's not fine. like injured or anything, but he's just sitting there in the middle of the road all by himself. And Gail and Evel scream all the way back. <laughs> Stop right in front of the baby. Evel picks him up and says, tell us, tell him we're never going to get rid of him. And he's like, no, he's Gale Jr. now. So yeah. they've just decided they're keeping the baby. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hi and Ed are... Hi, Ed is dressed up in her police uniform now. <laughs> yeah. And they're having to talk about their relationship and about how um, she loves him. But she doesn't think they're good for each other. And that there isn't going to be a them. Even if they get even if they get uh, Junior back. And she's right. crying, and it's sad, and it makes everybody sad, and no one makes her sad. Hi, you are bad for her. You're bad. I don't <laughs> like you. I could put a baby in her. Easy. Mm. <laughs> yep. That's just, They should have just gotten a surrogate. Yeah. Gail or Evel. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Arizona. You're telling me they can't find a surrogate in Arizona? Turkey, all you need. Turkey baster. Empty mayonnaise jar, volunteer. It's probably the best job you can get <laughs> in Arizona, wouldn't you think? Sure. 
Sorry, everybody in Arizona. Uh, anyway, uh, what's his name? Uh, Mr. Smalls shows up. Smalls, yeah. And he's looking around inside of the destroyed mobile home, and he finds that newspaper clipping about the bank, right? Right. Because what they're going to do is, this is when all of the farmers, what are they farming? I don't know. They live in a fucking desert, but all of the farmers come in and uh, cash their subsidy checks. Right. So on one day out of the month, the bank has tons of cash. The rest of the time, nothing. So they bust in with the baby because they don't want to leave the baby in the car because what happens if they get shot? Then the, it could be hours before the baby's found. Exactly. It's, it makes perfect sense. They bust in. They tell everyone to freeze and then get on the floor. There's an old man who has a problem with those instructions. Yeah, they, they're contradictory. What do you want us to do, son? You want us to freeze or you want us to get on the floor? Because if you want so us to get great. on the floor, I'm going to have to move. And after Gail tells him to get on the floor, he freaks out because there are no tellers. He's like, oh, shit, the tellers are gone. <laughs> We're down and here. From behind them, you can hear, We're on the floor, sir. <laughs> And so they get up there, they get the money, Gail, not Gail, Evelyn, Ethel turns away for a second, and they slip one of those explodey blue marker chargers charges into yeah. the bag. They rush outside, they get in the car, and they drive off. Except what, Steve? Oh, uh, wouldn't you know it? They forgot the baby again. They forgot the baby again, and as soon ah, as they realize shit. it, the charge goes off. Yep, there goes the money. Fills the entire car full yeah. of blue paint and covers them in blue paint, and they screech off to the... They almost hit high and Ed. They get out, and they, they demand to know where the baby is. They say it's back there. They run after them when they drive off, saying he's our baby too. Take us with you, yeah, yeah. And as they're approaching the town, what do they see? Uh, Leonard Small. Oh, they see an explosion first. That's right. And, and that, out of the that explosion, indicates that Leonard Small is, is nearby, yeah. That's right. And Leonard Small drives up, grabs the baby, hooks his car seat onto the handlebars of his motorcycle. And that's not going to work for them, right? No, no. First, he blows out their windshields with a shotgun, and then he's going to go back and kill people. It looks like he's going to run over. He's going to run over high, right? Yeah. Um, no, he's going to use his. Okay, so high gets knocked over, and then, and then Ed comes out, storming up to the motorcycle, demanding that that. Uh, uh, he give her the baby, with the classic line, "Give me back that baby, you warthog from hell." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and she's so convincing in this scene that I would gladly do it. I would be like, "Please, yeah, please don't hurt me." Um, but she's going up, she's grabbing the baby, and he's about to throw a knife. And High uses one of his guns to shoot the knife out of his hand. No, he shoots his hand because yeah. remember, flame comes out of his hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because he is a mythical creature. Exactly. He's that a they monster. are now doing battle with. He's he's a beast of legend, yes. Uh-huh. Um, and then she takes the baby. He chases her on the motorcycle for a little bit. She runs into the bank where everyone's still laying on the floor. Yeah. One of them says, now lay down on the floor, you little missy. And <laughs> yes, yes. Thankfully, she doesn't listen. He drives through the bank. They go through the side alley. And as he's coming out of the alley, 
High hits him with a board and knocks him off his bike. And then he proceeds to beat the shit out of High. Oh, yeah. And so this is where the duality... The So there's something we overlooked. High has a tattoo, a Woody Woodpecker tattoo. Yes. It's actually from a... It's a manufacturer of, I think, tools or something like that. Um, he has one on his arm, and Lender Smalls picks him up, and it looks like he's crushing him. And as he's struggling, you know, his hands are grabbing at his chest and all that other stuff. He pulls down his his armor a little bit, and he sees that he has the same tattoo there. Now, there are a lot right. of people who argue, that I don't know what that means, but it's pretty... If you understood the the sound cues, which mm-hmm. is the whistling wind that is associated with Leonard Smalls, it's very much that this is this could be high. I mean, he's the epitome of evil. Right, right. And so, and he and he was. We first see him in High's dream. Yeah, exactly. He's like High's worst nightmare. Mm-hmm. And part of High's worst nightmare is that it's him. Right, and yeah. so. They struggle. He knocks high. Uh, he drops high because of this. Knocks him back with another punch. High is beat to shit, but he Smalls takes out his shotguns, and High lifts his hand to protect himself because he's about to get shot. And what do we see on one of High's fingers? Uh, the pin to one of those grenades. Leonard says, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> Tries desperately to grab the grenade that's on his chest, but what happens? Well, High says, I'm sorry. Yes, he does say, I'm sorry. And, and, and then Leonard Smalls blows up real good. That's right, he blows up real good. <laughs> Cut to the Arizona household. High and um, Ed have returned the baby. And um, Nathan Arizona comes in, tries to cheat them out of the reward. <laughs> yes. try, he offers them store credit, which I think is hilarious. Mm-hmm. He offers them store credit. They say they don't want any reward, and he says, I'm fine with that. Um, but Ed just wants to look at the baby for a little while, and then when he sees the two of them looking at the baby, he realizes what? That they are the kidnappers. That's right. And he's like, well, I'm not going to send you to jail. I'm not going to do anything. You know, because he realizes, because they tell him. We can't have a baby of our own, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, and he's like, well, what about adoption? And they're like, oh, yeah, we tried. He doesn't ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> but he does make a point. He said, me and my wife were trying for years and years and years to have a baby. And right. now I've, I've got five and they're going to eat me out of house and home. And I know, I know I play a big shot and like I have a lot of money, but I don't. How am I going to send all these kids to college? One of them's just going to have to work at the store. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that much money, you guys. I run one furniture store. And they admit that they're going to break up. And he says, before you do something stupid, like break up, sleep on it. Right? Yeah. And then he says, you can go, you can leave the way you came in, which is a ladder Through the window, up to the yeah. window. We cut to high in bed, asleep. He's narrating again. Mm-hmm. And what he dreams about is, number one, Gail and Evel going back to prison. <laughs> Through the, yeah, same, through the same hole. <laughs> right. Um, he has a dream about Nathan Jr. getting a football from an unknown couple. Right? Yeah. We cut to Glenn, um, who is still telling Pol- Polish jokes. We forgot to mention that. He tells Polish jokes badly. Badly, yeah. 
and he tells one to an officer named Polanski. Yeah, Sergeant Polanski, yeah. And they also intone that no one would listen to him about what he said about about High and Ed having been the kidnappers. That no right. cops are going to listen to him. Then he goes into the future where he says he's Nathan Jr. and he's a football star. And maybe they think about him every once in a while. And then we go way in the future and uh, he sees himself. And he's like older and uh, he's got a reputation now. And people don't want to work with him necessarily. And he owes a lot of money to the government. <laughs> and he named one of his kids after a comic book character. No, that's... And he's... he married Elvis's daughter. And, you know, he bought a castle or something like that. He doesn't know where the money went. What he does know <laughs> is that he's starting to look puffy from drink. And, you know, maybe one out of 20 movies is a good one where he gets any... And he, he just can't... He, God damn it, he worked with the best in Hollywood, and now look at him. He what's got nominated. What's become of him? What's yeah. become of him? And we just slowly pan out of him lying in a gutter drinking, uh, <laughs> just, you know, uh, just the sidewalk outside of a movie set. Yeah. The end. No. The end. No, he has a much sweeter dream. Mm-hmm. About him and Ed being older. Yeah. And having kids. They have kids and grandkids mm-hmm. that come to see them. And he wonders around aloud that it doesn't seem like Arizona. It could be any place. Maybe it's Utah. <laughs> the end. And that's the end. <laughs> yeah. So, Steve, tell me what you think about this comedy classic from two of the greatest directors in Hollywood, Raising Arizona. Well, you know, it's it's. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, the the career trajectory that Nicolas Cage has been on. <laughs> Because this is this movie is is one of his best films from that first sort of sweet spot of his career, where he was not yet a movie star. No, but but he was a big enough star that he could get cast as the lead, and and mm-hmm. he would make movies like this, like this fun sort of quirky, weirdo comedies that were right on the border of the mainstream. Yep. You know, it's and this movie, this movie is very different than uh, true stories, but it reminded me a lot of true stories in terms of its tone. Um, a little bit. It, they both they, they had they both have this very singular sort of experimental. You know what tone. movie it reminded me a lot um, of? What? Wild at Heart. OK, yeah, I can see that. Kind of the same setting. Yeah. Desert South. There's not too much difference between McDonough and Sailor, if you think right. about it. But, I mean, I think that it's all just physical, not physical. I mean, tonally, it's totally a different movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. But I could see see, uh, true stories. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, but you know, it's this is it's a mis- it's a, a mishmash of different things. It's a, to a large degree, it's a cartoon, uh, but it's also a cape. And I don't mean that disparagingly. I mean it's no. a great cartoon. Um, it's uh, it's a caper movie. It's a crime movie. It's an offbeat character comedy, and it's all of this stuff kind of thrown together, mm-hmm. um, and it works really well because. Even at this early stage of their careers as writers and directors, and this is only their second movie, yep. uh, the, the, the Coen brothers are so confident in what they're doing. They know these characters. 
they know this story they know how to play these situations to make them funny and they hold all of this together and they do mm -hmm. just a, it, i mean it is for for a second feature and for a movie this odd this <laughs> it's incredibly confident yeah um it's really really it's like their sophomore effort this is only yeah. their second film usually yeah the second film from a pair of directors is not received terribly well. No. You know. Well, especially one that is this off the wall. Yeah. You know, and, and again, like, it's just they, 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 they know exactly what they're doing. Um, and one of the things that they know how to do is they know who to cast to play these characters. You mentioned during your introduction bit that they wrote this the part of Ed specifically for Holly Hunter, so they knew that she was going to nail it. Um, Nicholas Cage is absolutely perfect as High. Mm -hmm. He gives him just the right combination of detachment, but also investment in what's going on. Like there's there's a a, a, a personality that he gives to High where. You know, he seems he always seems like he's a little bit got his head in the clouds or a mm -hmm. little bit removed from what's going on, just kind of seems a little foggy. But he also grasps the situation. He has like an emotional investment. He wants to make Ed happy. Yeah. You know, he when when he gets married, he doesn't want to go back to robbing convenience stores anymore. No. Like he 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 he's a real character with, with wants and needs and desires and he tries to do the right thing even when he's doing the wrong thing like stealing a baby yeah um you know and and his choices make sense from his point of view i mean he's a dipshit so he makes the wrong choices a mm -hmm. lot of the time but but we get to know him well enough that you can understand why he would do the things he does this movie is <laughs> a world of dipshits oh except the whole, for leonard yeah. smalls that's true yeah um and yeah and i mean holly hunter is 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 fantastic as ed she's a character who spends the whole movie not getting what she wants and then taking what she wants mm -hmm. and then regretting it and trying to make it right. <laughs> um, uh, John Goodman and William Forsythe are fantastic. They're a great comic duo. Uh, they have spot on timing together. Yeah, and also when they're, when they're bouncing off of, of Nicolas Cage and Holly Hunter, um, William Forsythe has one of my favorite lines. It may be my favorite line in the entire movie when, uh, he comes it's right it's the scene where they 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 tell high about the bank robbery and it's after they've you know high says i don't think he's actually gotten fired yet but he thinks he's gonna get fired because mm -hmm. he punched out his boss and and evel says uh he says hi you're a young man you've got your health <laughs> what do you want with a job anyway mm -hmm. <laughs> it's such a great line and he delivers it perfectly mm -hmm. like it's the most obvious thing in the world like what are you like i don't get it why do you even want a job mm -hmm. um and you know we talked i mean the supporting cast is terrific you mentioned trey wilson as uh as nathan arizona sam mcmurray as glenn francis mcdormand as dot who really only gets one good scene yeah but is so funny I mean, is so funny. Like the, where, when she's talking to, to Ed about the baby and she has that moment right at the end where she looks up and goes, you can send him to Arizona State. And it's <laughs> and just the way she, she has the exact perfect way to say that line and make uh -huh. it funny. It is so funny. And, of course, Randall Tex Cobb oh, as yeah. Leonard Smalls, who, like everyone else in the movie, is a cartoon character. Yes, he but, is. But he is so much more interesting than a character like this has to be. I mean, he's playing a familiar type. Mm 
mm-hmm. uh, that we've seen in lots of other movies. But his motivations and the way he sees the situation and the way he enters the situation is different than it typically is with this kind of character. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, he's a bounty hunter, but nobody hires him. Nobody brings him in. Like, typically, you would have, like, the, the father, like Nathan Sr., would bring him in, would hire him to find the kidnapped baby. Mm-hmm. Which is how they do it, which is how the Coens do it. And granted, it wasn't originally their story. It was an adaptation. But, you know, that's kind of how Anton Chigurh comes in to No Country for Old Men. He's mm-hmm. hired by somebody to find the money that was stolen. Um, with with, with uh, Leonard Smalls, nobody even hires him. No. He takes it upon himself. He figures it out. Yeah. He takes it upon himself to find the baby. And then he goes to see the dad. And he basically shakes him down and says, yep. look, I'm going to find the kid. And you can either pay me for him and get him back, or someone else will pay that me and they'll get him. That scene is the most Cohen. It's it's the closest we get to Blood Simple, right? Yeah, because yeah. they intentionally made this movie to be the opposite of Blood Simple, right? Because this was their next right film, yeah. But that scene with Leonard Smalls is such a Cohen Brothers scene. Oh yeah. Because it's it gives you something that you've seen before, but in a very unexpected, very creative way. Like, mm-hmm. we've seen that scene, but I don't know if I've ever seen that scene where it's the bounty hunter basically threatening the guy who, in another movie, would be the guy who hired him. Mm-hmm. But he just comes in and says, okay, look, I'm going to find the baby. You can if you, if you can pay me enough, you can have him back. Uh-huh. And he if admits not, to I'll just give him to somebody else. That he himself had been sold on the black market? Yeah, yeah. For $35,000, and that's $1957. And that's $1957, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's so much more interesting and, and so mu- has evidence of so much more thought being put into it than this type of character and this type of, of subplot typically mm. gets in a, in a movie. So, you know, it's, I mean, I... It's it's a great movie. I mean, it's it, it's a great movie. Um, and it's the, so watchable. It's oh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. And I mean, the only reason I wouldn't call this one of the best Coen Brothers movies is that the rest of their career is just that fucking good. Yeah, that's um, true. I, I mean, there's there's really there's nothing major wrong with this movie, but it's just that. The Coen Brothers. I mean, this is we've said this a bunch of times. Or this is only their second movie. They had not yet made Fargo. They had not yet made The Big Lebowski. They had not yet made No Country for Old Men. There are so many movies after this that you know are just absolute masterpieces. And um, you know, in a career that great, Raising Arizona can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Uh, but for any other director a movie like this would be a career best or damn close to it uh-huh. uh, because it's a really, really good movie and a really, really funny movie. So yeah. that's all I have to say. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. I saw it on a date in uh, 1987 and I walked out daydreaming about Holly Hunter. But... <laughs> um, What's great about this movie is that this is the, what I love about it. I think it is one of their best films. I would put it up there as one of their best films. I mean, why not? They have so many. Right? <laughs> Just throw a dart at the wall. Right. Blood Simple yeah. is good. And that's their first film. 
Mm-hmm. And then they followed up, followed it up with this. And some of the films that got overlooked or were kind of panned are now coming back. Like Hudsucker Proxy is being reevaluated now, mm-hmm. and that didn't really, that didn't really wow anybody. And they said, oh, they're tired and they're all technical and blah 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 blah. And then they made Barton Fink, and they made a whole bunch of other films um, that are just excellent, artistic without being arty, right? And what's great about this movie is it kind of shows their roots. You can see how they're related to Sam Raimi. You can see mm-hmm. how they were friends. Joel worked on Evil Dead 2, right? They right. know each other. They work together. And you can see the roots in the in the cinematography and the way it's shot and, and the kind of exaggerated um, characters. I mean, Ash Williams from The Evil Dead would fit in perfectly with this cast. Right. Oh yeah. He could he would literally fit in this world easily. Yeah, yeah. easily. Um, and it is an exaggerated world populated by idiots. I mean, <laughs> if you, the hard thing about doing this is coming in, and if you say, "Why did they do this? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that?" If they don't cover it in the script, as far as why didn't they try adoption? They have the adoption scene. But in the other instances, you're like, "Why are they doing this?" It's because they're morons. Everyone yeah. in here makes bad decisions. But they're not bad people. Are Gale and Evel bad people, Steve? They really don't seem that bad. They don't they seem really like hardened don't. criminals. They just seem they like have, doofuses. They're doofuses, yeah. right? They don't know anything but crime. So, of course, they're going to uh, uh, counsel High that the, the remedy to their situation is crime. And he can't really say much about it because their remedy, Ed and High's solution to their problems was a crime was stealing a baby but I mean everyone comes off as this kind of they're not the same character over and over again they do have their own their own twist on each character I would say the most evil person is Glenn I'm not I'm gonna hold I'm not gonna say Dot is evil because she's just Dot right but everyone's kind of this level of dumb and with the number of crimes and the number of guns you don't come around come away feeling like oh i don't like any of these people i like the majority of the people in the movie i even like the old mm-hmm. man at the at the freaking gas station <laughs> and i don't even know if he was an actor i don't know if they just pulled up to a gas station and said hey old fellow you want to be in a movie and then he's like okay what do i gotta say um but what's great about it is with all of these exaggerated cartoony performances throughout the film you then hit the villain, and he's the only smart one, and that <laughs> makes him dangerous. He's the only one that calmly looks at a situation, gathers his evidence, doesn't say a whole lot, finds the kid, spends the night next to his motorcycle before even going to Nathan, Arizona, because he's already figured out that these people will fuck it up. <laughs> he's just going to get the baby at some point. And then he quietly, without raising his voice once, without taking a single insult to the ones that are being thrown directly at him by Nathan Arizona during that entire exchange between the two of them. Because he has all the power. And he knows he, and he, knows he does. Right? This is why I think he's one of the great greatest villains ever, because he's a genuine threat. And they build him up in these myth. He can make cigarettes and matches magically appear in his hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
it's just it's just great they make him so huge and then when he finally sits down he's he he sounds like he has a head cold number one <laughs> i don't know if that was a breathing thing with uh, randall tex cobb but he's quiet he's gonna get his point out he knows he already won you know he's not anticipating getting blown up by a grenade but when he does get blown up by a grenade you're like good good he's dead <laughs> The man who can roar like a pig is dead now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sweet little movie. It's just a sweet little movie. And you have to accept the fact that High is clairvoyant because he is. There's no room for doubt. It's not like, oh, it was just a coincidence that he dreamed up. When they find, when High finally sees um, Leonard Smalls, Ed says, what is it? Who is that? No, it's, what is that? Right? Yeah. And I says, you can see him too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that we get that little bit of hope, right? Where we don't necessarily have to get a scene that says 30 or 40 years later. And we get it, so we get it confirmed. We get to see his dream, right? And because we know he's clairvoyant, it's our hope that this part is going to come true because you kind of want High and Ed to stay together. Sure. Because they make it very clear that High and Ed are in love with each other. And I don't know. I don't know. It hits, I mean, as goofy as it is, there's really emotional parts. You know, when when Holly Hunter is, is saying that they can't be together because they're bad for each other, you believe that? There's no, there's no point in this movie where you don't believe a performance. There's no... no weak actors in this and that's what makes it great so if you haven't seen it go see it now do it (laughs) (laughs) so classic oh yeah oh classic for sure and now it's time for us to not recommend something steve not recommend something and 1987 was a shitty year i could probably do 40 or 50 more shows not recommending things from 1987 oh my god i'm thinking of crappy movies from 1987 right now but (laughs) But knowing that that is your gimmick, I have chosen a shitty movie from another year. Yay! Um, although it was, I mean, it was still pretty easy because uh, the star of Raising Arizona is Nicolas Cage. Okay. And Nicolas Cage's filmography, as you alluded to earlier, has quite a few films that are, let's just say, not good. Oh, you, what? I know. So. The movie I'm going to not recommend is actually from kind of towards the beginning of the the ongoing mostly not good phase of Nicolas Cage's career because you know yeah, I mean, he, since the 1990s he, yeah exactly <laughs> he did uh you know he did movies like Raising Arizona in the the late 80s and mm-hmm. early 90s and then he became a movie star and yeah. he he won the Oscar in 95 I think for Leaving Las Vegas mm-hmm. and then he suffered his own version of the Oscar curse, uh, which, you know, sometimes the, the Oscar curse happens when an actor or an actress wins an Oscar and then they just kind of disappear. It's like, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Like, all of a sudden, like, they can't, they're not doing movies anymore. Nicolas Cage started doing a lot of movies after he won the Oscar. It's just that they weren't usually the types of movies that, A, were going to win him another Oscar, or B, that, you know, folks wanted to see. Mm-hmm. So... And 
this is a movie that he made in 1998, so few years removed from the Oscar, when people were starting to look at the other movies he was making and the choices he was making and think, is Nick okay? Like, <laughs> are these, he's got to be getting different have, scripts than this, he, right? Has he gone crazy? He's got, I know he's, he just won the Oscar. He's got to be getting better scripts than this, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is a movie from 1998 directed by Brian De Palma, who is a, a very hidden misdirector. When he's good, he's really good. When he's bad, mm -hmm. he makes movies like this. Mm -hmm. And the movie is called Snake Eyes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Right where Nicolas Cage plays a detective who is investigating an assassination at a casino that turns out to be part of a conspiracy. Uh -huh. um, it, co it has, like a lot of the movies I, not, I don't recommend, uh, it has a really impressive cast. Not only Nicolas Cage, but also Gary Sinise, um, John Hurd, Carlo uh -huh. Gugino, uh, um, Mike Starr, who was one of those that guy yeah, actors Mike who you Starr see in a lot in of stuff. Yeah, you know, you've seen him in tons of stuff, and he's in Jesus, this. Mike Stars in Goodfellas. He's in everything. Yeah, he's he's yeah he he often will play like a like a crook or like a mob guy or something, or um, a broken movie producer like an Ed Wood. And Ed, yeah, he was the movie guy in Ed Wood, the guy who uh, hires Ed to to make Glenn or Glenda. Well, no, yeah. he doesn't hire Glenn no, to make my, Glenn I, or Glenda. I, I gave you a poster that said I changed my sex. Um, and he's always he's eating great. like a pastrami sandwich. He's great. Yeah, he's the he guy is. who dies in Dumb and Dumber. That's from right. Too much hot sauce. Yes, that's right. Uh, he's been in tons of stuff, and and so he's in. It's a good. It's a great cast. It's just a really really dumb movie. It's not good at all. And it was one of those movies where you're like, oh boy, what a great. Like I like Nicolas Cage. I like Gary Sinise. Um, you really want to like this movie. And yeah. it's just not good at all. It's no. just really, really bad. It's just it's confusing and and overly complicated and boring, and not very satisfying. Uh, pretty much the opposite of raising Arizona in every way. Um, so that is my not recommendation. If if you have made it this far and you have not watched Snake Eyes, just don't bother. Just don't see it. It's it's fine. You're not. You don't need to watch it. It's not good. There you go. Okay. Snake I Eyes. I think you're for it. As you guys know. I like to not recommend a movie from the same year as the movie that we just reviewed, so it's 1987. And holy shit, was there a lot of bad comedies in 1987. But I decided I'm going to go past the bottom of the barrel and dig into the ground where the barrel leaked into and find <laughs> that movie. The movie that I'm not going to rec recommend had a gimmick. And that gimmick was... You could win a million dollars. It said it on the poster for the film. But it was a lie. <laughs> because there was nothing by watching the film where you could win a million dollars. The movie I'm talking about is a movie called Million Dollar Mystery. It stars mm. no one. It stars nobody. Maybe Tom Bosley, if you're a big Tom Bosley fan. Hey. And it's basically a ripoff of It's a Mad, 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 Mad World where a guy steals money from the government, dies in a diner, there's a whole bunch of people around him, he gives a clue as to where the million dollars is, and everyone rushes away on a madcap bullshit, I hate it, 
thing where they go try to get the money and then they keep finding the million dollars and then they lose it. It gets dropped in the water or it flies away. But that's okay because there's another million dollars because he stole four million dollars and then they go do it and then someone loses the money and then they go to third time and they lose the money and then at the end of the movie <laughs> someone tells you we still have a million dollars hidden somewhere and you can you can find it if you buy Gladlock brand garbage bags. Wow. And there's clues in there so that you could get it. Maybe you got one of the entry clues things when you bought your ticket because that doesn't sully the movie industry at all is this tired, gross gimmick, uh, which is a promotional tie-in with a garbage, appropriately enough, a garbage bag company. (laughs) Garbage bags. Garbage bags. It's shit, and it flopped. It cost $10 million to make. I think they made $10,000. I'm not sure. Oh, my God. I don't think anyone bothered to find the money. The movie is garbage. It is not funny. Don't see it. I don't think it's ever been released on anything. (laughs) What's the point? But Dino De Laurentiis saw a line for lottery tickets, and he said, I know how to make a movie, because I'm a fucking hack. And I'm... (laughs) I'm going to make a movie that everyone will go see. You a chance to make a million dollars. And then I hope I hope he just walked into the ocean when it failed. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. Million dollar mystery. Don't wow. see it. Hey, Steve, guess what? What? It's time. Uh-huh. Time for what? Cake. <gasps> oh, I love cake. Is it red velvet cake? That's my yeah. favorite. I've changed the end of the show, so it's just us eating cake into a oh, microphone for 20 sweet. minutes. I bet the listeners will love that, too. Mm-hmm. It's red velvet cake. I didn't know that was your favorite. I, it's my very favorite cake, yes. It's, it's my, my wife's favorite, too. Really? I hate cake. <laughs> well, this was fun. I don't like it. It's too sweet. The icing's gross every time. No matter how. No, this icing's different, Jason. I'll try it. No. I burnt out on cake when I was seven. I was like, "Is there anything else?" So you're, you're, so I, I mean, I do happen. I, I knew that you preferred pie. That's right. That's but right. I did not know that you hated cake. I don't like it's no. I hate yeah. I hate cake and cake yeah. eaters. <laughs> no, I, I, I just don't like it. I don't like cake. Any motherfucker that eats cake better not come up to me. Gives me a weird look like I just stabbed Uncle Sam with a bald eagle because I don't like cake. No. But but all Uncle Sam was doing was offering you a piece of cake. A, a red, white, and blue bullshit cake. Eat this. You'll feel patriotic. It's almost the 4th of July. Why not? Fuck it. It's time for you to make a terrible choice. I thought that's where you were going. As many of you know by this point, I make Steve pick the next movie in a blind choice. He has three movies to choose from, and he doesn't know what those movies are. I will just give him a hint. It's film noir. We haven't done film noir in a while, so I've made three suggestions. Pick well, or I'll kill you. (laughs) Okay. You have A, B, or C. Steve, please. You have no idea how much is writing on this. Wow. No pressure. Mm-hmm. Do you want to call family members? I... Might be the last time you talk to them. <laughs> I'm not saying that you're going to die, but they might. They might. <laughs> oh, God. See, I had a choice, and now I'm second-guessing it. 
No, that's the whole point. I wanted to stretch this thing out to, I don't know, two and a half hours. I wanted you to cry. I wanted you to cry. I wanted well, you to be like, if I pick this one, who's going to die? And what you don't know is no matter what you pick, someone will die. <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to second guess myself. I'm going to okay. stick with the original choice I was going to make. And okay. I'm going to and I'm going to go with A. A. It's A, Vinny. It's A. <laughs> Vinny. <laughs> Okay, so had you chosen B, we would review L.A. Confidential. Ooh, okay. Had you chosen C, we would have reviewed the original, The Big Sleep. Ooh, interesting. Okay. But you chose A. I did. And that means that next time, we're going to review a movie from a problematic director. Oh, boy. Again. Oh, (laughs) boy. Starring Jack Nicholson and okay. John Houston. <gasps> oh, my. And, and Faye Dunaway, is she in that? Yeah, yes, she's in that. Yes, indeed. And Faye Dunaway. And it takes place in Los Angeles. <laughs> Los Angeles. And it has to do with water rights. Doesn't that sound exciting? Mm, the next boy. movie we're going to review is the Roman Polanski. Yeah, that's the problematic director. Classic. Chinatown. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to get all the jokes, then please watch Chinatown. If you want to know what Jason's going on and on about, about Roman Polanski, just look him up in Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, just Google him. It's, it's you know... It's easy. You'll find yeah, it. It's You'll pretty see. straightforward. You'll see a bunch of movie critics either making excuses or shaming. It's one or the other. It's like, I never know. He can never come back. Or, well, it was the time. And it was <laughs> fine now. And it was only once. I mean, he's not like Weinstein or Woody Allen or Kevin Spacey or yeah. the myriad other producers. He's, he's not as Hollywood. evil as some of the most evil people. So, come on. <laughs> Cut him some slack. He's made a good movie or two. He made that Rosemary Baby movie, right? Yeah, y'all like that. And Frantic. That is a movie by him, isn't it? I think that's Polanski, yeah. That's the Harrison Ford one? Yeah, I think. I think that's Roman Polanski. Anyway, Chinatown. Go see it. Anyway, we're done. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) For late seating, this is Jason Harding. And go see a movie this week. And this is Steve Shives. And if you remember nothing else I have ever told you, remember this, I beg you. You gotta get them Diptet boosters yearly, or else they'll develop lockjaw and night vision. Not to mention autism. <laughs> oh, no, that's, 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 no, that's not true. That's, that's what not I true. heard. If you no. give it to them all at once, they're going to get autism. And that apparently is worse than having a child. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's not, no. That's what I heard. That's what you've heard, but that's all of that is wrong. No, it's not. It's the, true. The, the vac the, the, it's not caused by vaccines, and it's not that it's not that bad. It's not like that. I mean, look. Would you rather your child possibly, maybe? This isn't even a possibility because it's not caused by vaccines. But even if it was caused by vaccines, would you rather your child maybe develop autism, or would you rather your child die of the measles? Die. Oh. Because the problem is, I don't even know what autism is. Oh. Do they come out a different color? 
do they come out with like a pointed head and a chicken no, beak? No, they've already come out. Is that out. what they're autism getting, is? No, they're getting vaccinated. They've already come out. They're, oh, and that turns them already. into the chicken boy pointed they head. Doesn't thing. turn them into anything. It protects them. It immunizes them against diseases. What's that? It makes so they don't get sick. Well, everybody knows that you get sick because demons jump up your nose if you touch your hindy hole. Yeah, but the vaccine... I don't need no shot for that. Just don't touch your hinder hole. The, the vaccine puts little demons in you that kill the big demons when they try to get in. Oh, how dare you? I'm not injecting demons into my oh, body. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say demons? I meant angels. You did. They're you angels. You can't fit angels little, inside a needle. You can fit... Actually, there's been a lot of debate about how many angels you can fit inside a needle. Who Who's debating that? Uh, St. What Augustine? idiot is sitting there going... <laughs> Who's Saint Augustine? Never mind. Is, is 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 that a comedian that I would have seen on Hee Haw? Yes, Saint Augustine was on Hee Haw. Yeah. I see, and they debated about angels and needles. Yeah, Roy Clark loved him. There's only one angel and a needle for me, and that's heroin. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. We always go dark. I would yeah. love an uplifting ending to one of our shows. Oh, uh, I wouldn't. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.